Blue is the color. Welcome to the FPL Blues podcast. You have your hosts, Brian and Bucks, joining you to talk about game week eight. Bucks, how are you doing in Brooklyn today? Oh, it feels good. We both had some strong showings in game week eight, and I am officially on wild card. So I'm tingling coming out of oh, a weekend of FPL and excited for a short week off as we dive into even more Premier League and football action. Yeah, Bucks, I think you were feeling a little left out last week on the international break when I was doing my wild card, and you have now pulled the trigger right behind me, and you're sitting in a great spot after a really solid game week eight, and now you're wild carding in a position of strength. So hats off to you. Um, let's talk about how your game week eight went. Yeah, so feels good. Patience finally is paying off, and uh, I think we're both being true to our preseason promises and goals to kind of be a little more cautious and a little more steady handed in our team management this season. We've both taken notably less hits than we did pre (laughs) pre podcast life. So uh, that's so far so good from both of us. This game week, my team got 64 points total with a green arrow, bringing me from 75,000 in the world all the way up inside the top 50 K to 47 K overall. So really happy with that. And I think I was, as Brian mentioned, proven right holding off on wildcarding because I had certain key features in my team that I expected were going to get points and then they delivered. So my double up on Brighton defense got me 11 total points from the clean sheet. And my lone free transfer move was Tony Rudiger, who came back from international break with a back injury. He doesn't play. He doesn't even make the match day squad. And I brought in Jao Cancelo from Man City. He gets me six points from a clean sheet. And some of the players that I stayed true uh, riding their hot streaks, Mason Greenwood, most notably, he ends up with a classy goal and a high scoring affair for Man United. And he was a big differential this game week. So he got me seven points, but that was really huge. And last but not least, Captain Mo Salah, the Egyptian king. He does it again. He's on fire right now. He's ahead of his FPL record pace uh, right now this season. So that just shows how amazing he is. He ends up with 13 points, but since he was my captain, he brought me 26 huge points. So that was massive. That's how I got to 64. How about you, Brian? Had you fare on wildcard? Yeah. So wildcard was an interesting roller coaster ride to go on, Mm -hmm. honestly, with all of the news over the international break. It really kind of dragged on, to be honest. I, I did a bunch of different tinkers with my team, and the main team that I was focused on had Sun in it. And right before the deadline, the day before the deadline comes, we hear that you know a reputable source on Twitter that follows the Spurs says that he tested positive for COVID, and that you know that signifies he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. So luckily for me, you know I had a couple of different versions of my team, so he, I ripped him out. And uh, same with Rudiger over the last couple of days that we found out that he was going to be out. So all in all, I ended up on 63 total points. Went nice, big at nice. the back. Yeah, definitely respectable. I I climbed 97K overall woo, spots woo. and up to 257K at this point in the season and really set up well. Uh, my foundation, big at the back, I have Diaz, Cancelo, Trent, and... Aspilicueta. So I feel really good about those guys for a long time. To be honest, those are some really premium defenders who I think are going to get me six to 12 points on a number of weeks coming up here. So I think that's kind of the foundation of my team. And I'm going to take a little bit more of a risky approach on some of those peripheral 
players in the kind of 5.5 to 7.5 bracket. So Captain uh, Sala, what more can you say? I think that goal footwork was footwork was incredible. It was better than um, the goal, I thought, against uh, City. Obviously, the stakes and the opponent were much uh, worse, but the the footwork, especially watching uh, some of the highlights in slow motion, were absolutely incredible. So good to see him uh, continue his hot streak. And, you know, a topic for the pod later we're going to discuss is, you know, do you captain him over Lukaku this week? You know, going into the last you know couple of weeks, all the planners in FPL were going to go with Lukaku. So we'll touch on that now that Mo is absolutely red hot wanted to add those were two goal of the season candidates and one was against you know probably the best defense in england arguably the world and the other one is not so much but uh still both very classy <laughs> classy finishes from from mo Salah. i mean just to have them in like back-to-back weeks was like amazing right you it gives you flashbacks from the week before and you're like wow he's done this twice in one week so mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. you know absolutely in fuego and you love to see that for Salah owners Obviously, he was basically captained by every single person in the in FPL. So uh, his points were points for everybody. You know, yeah, eighty scores. We all get points. We are all happy. Eighty percent of the top hundred K managers captain Salah in game week eight, which is a, a ridiculously high number. Yeah, for sure. So the only disappointment for me this game week, honestly, was having uh, Diaz come in for a one pointer. And, you know, all the discussion around him being the most nailed and uh, everything else. But it was a good opportunity for him to get some rest. He did play for Portugal on international duty. He's obviously going to be playing over 3000 minutes for Manchester City this season. So he comes on for a cameo one pointer, which is a bit odd. Um, I I think Pep Mm -hmm. was meaning to screw uh, owners in FPL because usually you wouldn't bring on a center back when you're up to zero. Uh, so that was kind of questionable, but, uh, and they also had Nathan Ake on the left in that game. So anyway, that, it was a, a bit annoying to get one pointer, uh, from Diaz, but I know moving forward, he's, he's good to go. So yeah, that's my team all up and, uh, moving forward in a, in a good spot with some big defenders in the back, uh, which was what I always kind of envisioned with my wild card. Yeah. So before we get into a recap of the matches from game week eight, we do want to shout out the manager of the game week. And for the second straight game week, that goes to Dennis and his squad, Denmark one. He is proving to be a differential king and he's he's going bold. And I really respect his strategy. He still has his wild card chip, but for game week eight, rather than using a wild card, he has a pretty strong team. And he went triple captain on Mo Salah, which brought in 39 points, which is huge because- The average was only, I believe it was 40 something this game week. So he basically hit that with just one player. So Dennis ends up with 80 points total to top out the game week score from the FPL Blues podcast, Super League. He has a whopping 151 points in these last two game weeks, which is by far and away. That's by far and away the top of our little mini league and you know, I mentioned he's the differential king right now. He has Vardy, who got eight points, Aaron Cresswell and Connor Cody, who both got seven points, and then Duffy and Bruno Fernandez both added five points apiece. So that's the framework and the skeleton for a really strong showing. So credit to Dennis, two weeks in a row, taking home that honor. And Brian, you want to just let the listeners know who still remains at the top of the table in our mini league? 
Hey, top of the table still belongs to Amar with top of the Turkish table. Kabak. Yep, he's he's still at, in the number one position. He uh, used his wild card and actually had five players not even feature, and he still manages to be the top FPL manager in our FPL Blues Super League. So thank you for participating. Hopefully we can catch him in due time, Bucks. And I think since you're on wildcard, you're hoping to make up some ground on him as well since you're close to the top in our FPL Blue Super League as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll discuss the matches on the weekend in a moment. Welcome back to the FPL Blues podcast. We're now going to go over some of the most interesting matches of the past weekend. And let's start with a absolute goal fest. Liverpool 5, Watford 0. This was an awesome way to cap off um, the end of international break and just start with a goal fest. And of course, Salah does what he does and bags a double-digit haul. Bucks, this was a a training-style session for Liverpool. They looked like they were one of the top teams in the entire world, which they are. And Watford looked like a uh, bottom relegation type of team. Take us through this one, Bucks. What were your highlights here? Yeah, it's funny you say it was a goal fest because it was really only a goal fest for the visitors. And uh, by about the third goal, <laughs> the Watford fans seemed resigned to the fact that this was going to be a pretty painful day at the office for the Watford team and, and their new manager, Claudio Ranieri. So really interesting to see such a flop and such a dull performance from a squad that just replaced their manager, which means, you know, they normally should get a little bit of a bump in the intensity and the way that the 11 guys on the pitch play that definitely did not happen. They were just totally bossed up and down the pitch <laughs> by Klopp and the Liverpool side. And- I mean, I mean, bucks, bucks, even dead cats bounce. And Watford did not bounce back at all in this. It was very surprising. You know, the new manager just gets a front row seat to see uh, Mo Salah absolutely destroy his his dreams of, you know, turning this side around for Watford. But I mean, what can you say? They 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 seriously have such little talent compared to a team like um, team like Liverpool. Yeah, I. I just wanted to add, you know, it's going to be a, a tough go when your starting goalkeeper, Ben Foster, who is notably an FPL player and manager himself, is captaining the opponent striker in Mo Salah. So that was really funny. Oh, did he do that? Match. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was it was interesting because throughout the game, Mo Salah and him were really having a couple of interesting interactions. Ben Foster, uh, you know, kind of gave a nod to Mo Salah when he put in Mane for the opening goal. And then Salah actually went up to Ben Foster on numerous occasions, telling him good save and and good play. Cause you know, Ben Foster really did. He put in 150% effort. It's just, I would say all five of those goals, there was no chance they weren't going in. Even, even if it was, if Liverpool was playing against their own goalkeeper, Allison, who was out for this one. So just a really dominant performance. Uh, as we mentioned, Salah plays in Sadio Mane, who gets the opening goal. He ends up on eight FPL points, and that's within the first 10 minutes. And, you know, Salah then gets his own special goal, as Brian mentioned earlier in the show. He has puts his foot on top of the ball, does a shimmy shake, goes one way, the defender goes the other way, and then he just pivots and gets through four defenders for the second game week in a row, as Brian also mentioned, slots that one home. So he ends up with two bonus points and 13 FPL points total. And 
you know, the real star of this game was Ooh. Bobby Chompers, Roberto Firmino. He ends up with a classy hat trick, but I will say he didn't really have to do very much to score those three goals. So he ends up with all three max bonus and 20 FPL points. He's by far and away the player Ooh. of the week. He's the king of the game week. 20 points. Is a 20 massive. spot bucks. Yeah. A 20 has- spot, a, a twomp. Very impressive from Bobby Chompers. What's even more impressive is how little he's owned in the in the FPL game. I think Jota, Diego Jota is a much more popular pick and he didn't even feature in this game. So uh, Roberto Firmino really silencing the FPL haters and just going to work uh, in this match against a bottom half squad. And we both had Trent Alexander-Arnold. He returned to match fitness and played and he ends up with six points from a clean sheet which obviously, you know, those go a long way, but I will say he didn't look hundred percent. So um, he's someone who you would like to see get rested in the UCL, but uh, we're recording this Tuesday night. I'm here to say that he did not get very much rest. He was subbed out late in the match <laughs> um, in the 80th minute or so. So um, he's, he's one to monitor. I think he, he might be getting rest in the next couple upcoming fixtures. Brian, did you see anything here? Yeah. Interesting to see. Bobby Chompers, less than 3% owned. He's now got three goals and one assist on the season. And then you look at Sadio Mane, he has five goals and one assist and under 3% owned as well. So interesting to see all of these different Liverpool assets continue to return in FPL. And I mean, this just puts a, even more pressure on Jota owners to figure out what to do with him because Firmino is rounding into form and that just creates more and more of a headache. So Something to definitely keep your tabs on who plays in Champions League. And today was Firmino. So I kind of expect Jota to potentially start this weekend versus Manchester United. It'll be his first kind of big marquee uh, match versus Manchester United as part of Liverpool. So it'll be interesting to see if Klopp rolls him out for this one. Yeah, just one last point on that. Uh, Firmino actually got kicked in the head. Uh, It was unintentional, but it was a straight red card to uh, Griezmann, who uh, was going for a ball, put his foot up high and Firmino went to head it. So I would definitely expect Jota to be the man rolled out in the starting <laughs> formation for Liverpool. It didn't look like Damn, it just came, a, in, came in hot with the karate kick. Yeah, it didn't look like it was a massive uh, injury, but uh, just worth noting, I expect uh, following that work rate and uh, a boot to the head. Uh, I think he'll, he'll be starting on the bench. Next one up, Brian. All right, let's talk about Wolverhampton three. Aston Villa, two. This is an incredible comeback for the Wolves. I believe the Villa was up 2-0 with 75 minutes left in the match, and somehow they come back and score three goals. They had basically scored less than three goals their whole rest of the season before this game. So I, I couldn't believe this <laughs> epic collapse from uh, from Villa. And, uh, man, three goals in the final 10 minutes to steal a victory, and three points is huge for them. Yeah, this is, I think, an indictment on the coaching staff. They put in a lot of young players. Uh, They thought they had the game all but one. And then, you know, Wolves come storming back. They get three goals in the final 10 minutes, actually, including uh, one of the last kicks of the game, which was a free kick finish from Ruben Neves, who's just back from injury. Really classy goal uh, as the game winner. I think just most notably for FPL purposes from this match was that Raul Jimenez gets benched while He Chang Wang gets the start alongside 
Triore. So uh, just really interesting to see the new manager, Laje, tinker with what his best attacking formation is going to be. They have a wealth of really good attacking wings and strikers. The key is just going to be figuring out you know, who's going to be nailed in to, I would say, four spots. So they have about six players for four spots. Yeah, I mean, I think Jimenez was just coming back from international duty. And given that he hasn't been playing much international duty plus Premier League football, I think this was just a kind of a one-off that he did not start. I mean, I think he's probably one of the most nailed players in regular circumstances. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. Um, I actually picked up um, He Chang Wong on my... Um, wild card and he looked pretty mediocre. Uh, I think again, <laughs> he's a he's a player that you're not expecting to get many many returns. I think he'll 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 be better off when Jimenez is up top with him to have that backboard and have some creativity from Jimenez. Um, I do want to shout out that Triore finally got his first FPL return this season with an assist late in this game. So he ends up on five points and all those expected assists and expected goals. He finally nets uh, a five-pointer. So I don't think anybody really had him anymore going into this game, but maybe maybe he goes on a little bit of a run, and uh, so does Wolves. So uh, let's let's move it forward here and talk about Man U two Leicester four. Now this was a proper goal fest with both teams chipping in, yes, and it yes, was it really was. kind of a crazy game. Like this is what one of those games where you're like, man, they got the hollow back goal, and then it just kind of went again and again back and forth. So. Bucks, what were your biggest takeaways from this one? Yeah, this was for me the match of the weekend uh, at King Power Stadium and Leicester go down and then they come back and then they go down and then they come back and then they just, they surge. The crowd was on one by the end of this match. And I know in Definitely. some of our, in some of our mini league uh, threads that we have, uh, you know, some Manchester United managers were feeling all the emotions across Oof. these 90 minutes. Um, it starts Mason Greenwood. As I mentioned, he gets the opening goal. He ends up with seven FPL points and that's from a Bruno assist. That was a really nice, uh, moment of play uh, from those two attacking players. Ian Nacho sets up Yuri Tillemans for the equalizer about 30 minutes into the match. So one, one, and then late in the second half, we go about 40 minutes without a goal, but then within the course of five minutes and change, there are three goals. So Lester take the lead. Sayanchu heads home a fantastic header from a corner kick. And then Marcus Rashford, who's just back from injury, he subs in and what happens? He scores a goal pretty much instantaneously. He gets a beautiful goal 2-2. And, you know, as soon as United are done celebrating, they're back lined up. And who causes the party to continue? Jamie Vardy. He stays on so form. Good. He gets a goal to put them in front. And then, uh, you know, they pile on uh, Daka, who's the new signing for Leicester, gets a feature laid on as a super sub, and he scores a goal, making it 4-2. So, the big scorers, Jamie Vardy, ends up with eight points. Huge for those managers who have gone differential and chosen him up front as opposed to Lukaku or CR7. Yeah, it's just an amazing match for Leicester. I think this was a real get-right fixture for Brendan Rodgers. He always seems to have his team play up in those big matchups. And they looked so strong with the Nacho-Vardy double-up. It's just a wonder they haven't done it every game. <laughs> I mean, I, I was very surprised that this was a 4-2 win for Leicester, given their recent form. And you know that Manchester Agreed. United want to kind of 
get back, get their mojo back. And very surprising, like just the overall flow of the game was very stop and start, but there were some just fabulous, you know, Golazo types of uh, efforts by the players. So you love to see that Rashford, I think is somebody that maybe later in the season, especially when they have a, a better run of fixtures come around game week 15, he might be a cheap way into the, the side. So I'm, I'm interested to see how he continues to come back from injury because he is a player that, you know, is like Greenwood in that he can, you know, strike the ball and score goals, but he can also, he has more creativity and he has more awareness, yeah, for sure. uh, a little bit more mature of a player. So he might actually kind of vibe more with Ronaldo. So just somebody to keep an eye on um, as they kind of, uh, progress but overall Vardy continues to be an amazing asset very few people own him and uh, you know we all we've been in, enamored with these new additions to the Premier League in Ronaldo and in Lukaku and old man Jamie Vardy still getting it still, done he's still he's got been it. In, he's been in England the longest and he's been he's been doing it right this season so um, you know what did you think of Ronaldo in this game I thought he pretty much a, like a 36 year old who's been playing a lot of football lately looks from time to time. He, he didn't get that much service and he's just way too expensive for my taste. Uh, personally, what do you think bucks? Yeah. You know, I wanted to highlight one moment. And it's funny you bring up Ronaldo being too expensive because I think he's just, he's such a legendary player that comes with such a, a history of goal scoring and excellence that the man United team have kind of tailored their style to best fit him where I think that when it was just Bruno and Mason Greenwood and Rashford last season, they played a lot more free and the goals seem to be coming much more in bunches than they are this season. So there was a moment that I just want to highlight, which is Ronaldo really like looking at Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Aaron Wan-Bissaka, the spider kind of melting into nothingness. <laughs> he like turned into a puddle um, when uh, Ronaldo looked at him and gave him the steel eyes. So I just think that there's some discontent here because Ronaldo needs to be scoring goals for him to be happy, for him to be motivated to play. And right now he's not, he's in a bad run of form and he's kind of taking it out on his teammates. And, you know, that's a tough situation for Ole to manage and for the team to work through, because as I've said on previous podcasts, I think that Mason Greenwood is the best goal scorer in this Manchester United side. And right now, Ronaldo is taking up the spot that Mason Greenwood is his best in. So just interesting to see kind of a win now versus a build a team long-term approach and how United is balancing that. So I definitely am off Ronaldo for a little bit, um, but I definitely think if you time it well, he's going to have value and he's going to score goals. Next one. Let's move on to the other team in Manchester, where we have Manchester City only scoring two goals and not their uh, customary five goals versus Burnley. And uh, they won 2-0 at the Etihad. In this one, Bucks, I had three Manchester City players in my squad. Uh, had some newcomers in Diaz, Foden, and Cancelo. Foden gets an early FPL assist after taking a shot on goal that gets um, kind of mishandled by Pope a little bit. And Bernardo Silva puts that in the back of the net. You know, he's one to watch as well for a cheap enabler way into the city mm -hmm. side. He's mm -hmm. been getting a lot of minutes after kind of being rumored that he might want out of the Manchester City team. And he gets a goal and three bonus points for 11 total FPL points. And he's 6.9 million. Yeah. So again, somebody to potentially keep an eye on. And he's getting a lot of minutes in the second half. KDB smashes home uh, his second goal of the season. He's starting to 
get on the radar for FPL managers. Obviously, with the likes of Lukaku and Ronaldo not being involved in their offenses as much as we would have expected, maybe we're sleeping on somebody like De Bruyne, who's going to get not only some goals, but lots of assists this season when healthy. So I think he's somebody that obviously we're overlooking right now, but might be you know worth a, a differential shout. Um, I'm actually going to look up his ownership in a minute here, but he's just, again, a world-class player. So if he kind of hits a form for a you know five-week stretch, he's somebody that could help you jump in the FPL ranks. Yeah, he's also a vacuum for bonus points. So when he scores and when he contributes attacking returns, he gets three bonus points like he did this match, and he ends up with 11 uh, huge points. Uh, I think he's owned by like less than 5% of the game. So he's yeah, definitely yeah, one point, to watch. 3.2%. So that's, yeah. that's nothing. So yeah, interesting just, to see a premium that lowly owned from, yeah, from city, but he's been injured agreed. and, um, and he's that dropped in price, but, right? He's, I think he's 11.9 yeah. now. So he's definitely yeah. one to monitor. I, I like the, the Bernardo Silva shout. I think right now he's filling the role that Ilkay Gundogan filled last season when he was pretty much the go-to midfield player on city for FPL purposes. And it's interesting because Gundogan right now isn't really getting any minutes and Silva's kind of locked down that spot. And we just saw that Raheem Sterling put to the media that he wants out. He is open to a transfer away from the club in the winter. Send him, send him to Newcastle, Buck. Send him to Newcastle. Uh, Come on, get get (laughs) out of here. But uh, yeah, this was a match that really, I think, featured Pep Roulette very heavily from the international break. There were some changes. So Brian mentioned- I cannot believe he started Nathan Ake at left back. That was like, I, I, he can barely play center back and they put him out there at left back. Like what was happening in Pep's mind? It was, it was very bizarre. It was very bizarre. Uh, Dias gets rested. He comes on for a cameo as Brian mentioned. And then Jack Grealish, who's been Mr. Reliable. He's played pretty much every minute for city thus far this season. He gets rested. He's on the bench. And lastly, as Brian mentioned, Kyle Walker, who's playing on the England side and he's looking good when he plays. Um, he doesn't have any attacking returns yet, but I feel like he's, he's knocking on the door for one of those. And uh, Nathan Ake comes into the side and steals his spot. So there's going to be a <laughs> lot more rotation with city as we'll touch on a little later in the podcast, but uh, yeah, Burnley actually put up more of a fight than I expected. This was a little bit tighter than uh, I think even we could have imagined. Uh, yeah. My 4.4 midfielder Brownhill. He almost actually had a kind of almost a one-on-one with uh, Zach Stefan. So he, he missed that chance, but they easily could have scored in this match. Um, so props to Burnley for putting up a little bit of resistance. But overall, when you look at all these attackers for Man City, I would just much rather prefer to have Cancelo and Diaz. Um, I would prioritize those two players over anybody else on this side because they're going to play the most minutes and at their price tags are just much better value than the rest uh, personally. And, you know, it's interesting. We saw a lot of, again, a lot of rotation. Walker comes back from international break with England. He gets rested. And today in Champions League, both Cancelo and Walker scored goals. And I was just like, why can't this happen on the weekend in the Premier League? Yeah, exactly. Instead of UCL. And and Foden, Foden, Foden even played like a long ball to Cancelo. And I was just like, oh, this is what I wanted on, on the weekend. But Pep nah, has I can't, no I can't love. complain too much. Pep has no love for the FPL game. Next up, Snooze know, Fest, right? Brighton at Norwich. This was 0-0. A, a game that actually should have had goals and should have had goals from the unexpected side. Uh, there were a lot of yellow cards and no goals, but 
Really, the chance of the match fell to American striker Josh Sargent of Norwich. He had the ball about 20 yards away from the net. He had gotten around uh, Sanchez, who is the Brighton keeper. So he's in no man's land. And he chooses to kind of place the ball and pass it into the goal as opposed to kind of being confident and strike it with authority. And credit to Shane Duffy. He races back, clears it off the line, and uh, yeah, stays 0-0. I'm rewarded with 11 I mean, that, points from uh, that's that's a that's a goal attempt that Sargent is going to it's going to keep him up at night. That was very much his kind of welcoming party to the Premier League. He instead of like kicking the ball into that, he passed it into that. And Duffy, I was actually a couple of yards off the line as well. It, it was really just one of those balls that was slowly moving. And you're like, there's no chance that's going to go in. And then Duffy comes and kicks it away. So. Hey, you got your big 11 points and that's a, one it. of the big that's one of the big reasons why you didn't wildcard on, on international break. So kudos to you for calling that out. I had Duffy on my team, took the 5 points. I was hoping for a headed goal or something, but um let's let's keep he it came moving close. He came close. I just want to shout out Joel Veltman. He played in this game. He gets a yellow card Oof. and then has to come off early. <laughs> he comes off in the 58th minute, so he doesn't get the clean sheet bonus points. They come in at 60th minutes for uh, those rookie and uh, new FPL managers. So he ends up with zero points, which is hugely disappointing when the rest of the team uh, in defense gets the clean sheet points and your guy comes off with a silly yellow card and zero points. That's uh, that's a real bummer for those FPL managers who had him. Now we can go to- <laughs> I know one of, our, uh, one of our close friends that we have a lot of banter with, Corey Cummings, he, uh, he got the zero pointer from Veltman and he said Hate every one it. of his, every one of his defenders returned a clean sheet except for Veltman. So he was a minute and a half away from getting that. So pretty, un- pretty unlucky. That's, that's even worse than the Diaz cameo, in my opinion. So he was, he tough, was so tough luck close. There. He was so close. He was all sweaty. He really earned that clean sheet. And then the manager's calling his number to come off the pitch. Uh, He should have laid down and pretended to be injured so that he got his FPL manager some points. Yeah, and I think Lamptey came on for him as well. So uh, somebody who the FPL community has a lot of respect for when healthy. So he's coming back from injury. He might be a player down the line that is really interesting at 4.5 million for Brighton if he's kind of gets a nailed position in that squad. So somebody to... You know, keep an eye on way down the line, but he's uh, somebody that could really get some attacking returns for Brighton, who needs some offense. They've, you know, scored zero goals in the last two games, and I expect them to score zero goals this week versus Manchester City. So uh, let's move it on to another kind of snoozeworthy fest, yeah, which was cagey. Southampton. Yeah, Southampton one, Leeds zero. Again, this one was tough for Leeds. They are missing a lot of their players. They did not have Rafinha, who was in scintillating form, but making the trip back late from Brazil. And then Bamford was another player that he's still injured with that ankle injury. So lo and behold, the most important player for FPL managers, Tino Livermento, he comes through with a huge clean sheet for six points and honestly came off the bench for a lot of managers this week. So that's why we saw a lot of managers really squarely in a kind of 55 to 65 point range because people who had benches and had quality players like Livermento coming off delivered with those uh, defensive clean sheets. Yeah. And uh, the goal was scored by Armando Broja. He's a Chelsea low player, first FPL goal for him. So uh big. Career. Oh, is he? I had no idea. I had no and, idea it was from Chelsea and uh, worth mentioning. It's also the first goal 
by an Albanian international in the league. So uh, I thought that was a pretty cool stat. Next was Chelsea at Brentford. Uh, this was a West London Derby that was, that was worth the billing. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of managers for FPL had targeted this as the start of the Chelsea kind of easy fixture run and the start of a real significant fixture swing. And I know on last episode, I was preaching caution saying Brentford are real, the real deal. They are a good side and they're going to give Chelsea problems. And lo and behold, Chelsea won Brentford zero, but the XG told a really different story as did the way the match went on the pitch. Uh, I think Chelsea need to give flowers and huge credit to their goalkeeper, Edward Mendy. He was absolutely incredible. He was flying around huge. like he was a, a, a spider monkey uh, in, in goal. He was just like everywhere. His <laughs> arms were flying. His head had a major goal. Incredible. He ends up with six saves and the clean sheet for nine points total. And honestly, he was robbed of the three bonus points, uh, which went to uh, his fellow man at the back, Ben Chilwell, who gets the start and he ends up with the lone goal and the clean sheet. And he gets, as I mentioned, max bonus for 15 points, a huge haul for a defender and a differential shout for FPL managers who decided to invest in the Ben Chilwell hype train. And, you know, I think just really quick, it needs to be said that the Chelsea backline, it was definitely the second choice backline, Aspi, Chaloba, Christensen, and Saar. In addition to Ben Chilwell, they end up all with clean sheets and bonus points sprinkled around, but they got off the hook in a major way because Mbwemo ends up hitting the post two times and two times. Yeah. And Norgard has this amazing, uh, you know, scorpion kick overhead kick uh, that Mendy ends up putting off the post. Um, So really credit to Brentford. They made this a tough match and. Lukaku just was invisible. So that was really frustrating for FPL managers who moved early to bring in the big Belgium. And this is his fourth blank in a row for FPL purposes. So there's nothing like a good dose of Norwich to fix that in game week nine. And I think that's what a lot of FPL managers are hoping for as they look for Chelsea and more specifically Lukaku to get right on the weekend. That's what we say, Bucks, on this podcast. You just need a little dose of Norwich to get right. So I'm expecting big things from Lukaku this weekend. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting to see Chilwell again with such a, a technically gifted finish uh, with his left foot. And given the lack of goals that Chelsea is scoring lately, um, it's really important for somebody like um, you know somebody like Chilwell to come in and score goals for them. So I think it's interesting that, especially in this lineup we gave brentford a lot of respect honestly and we played we played what eight defenders like it wasn't quite the lineup that i you would have probably liked to see mason mount get some more run and we're just lacking some creativity so they're really relying on on goals from the likes of alonzo or reese james or um you know chilwell obviously to help them win games at this point in the season yeah it's frustrating because you know, you can't say enough about Thomas Tuchel and the success that he's had at Chelsea. It's undeniable. And he's probably one of the best five coaches in the world right now. However, he is playing a very defensive style and he even admitted it in the post-game press conference. He needs to be more bold and start some more of our wealth of attacking players. I mean, Mason Mount, who you mentioned, Kai Havertz, we have the horses to go and score goals, but we just need to stop playing 
all these defensive midfielders and actually play someone with a little more creativity. And I think Jorginho is a player in the Ballon d'Or conversation. He's someone who needs to be played on a more regular basis to link up the strength at the back and the strength at the front. And then I think, you know, Timo Werner has been getting a lot of run out wide as the second forward, but there's many more players who have just a touch more on ball creativity than Timo does. That might be a better foil to Lukaku for Chelsea. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if Pulisic gets some run coming up here once he's back from his injury. We Ugh. just need a player that can dribble in and put some pressure on the defense. Like right now, we don't have any player that's putting the defense on their heels. And so we're relying so much on the fullbacks to do all the bring all the service and cross in balls. And it really hasn't worked that well. But again, I feel very fortunate to have gotten three points out of that match. Just looking at some quick stats. Expected goals for Brentford, 1.91. Chelsea, 0 0.027. And then total shots, 17 shots for Brentford, five shots for Chelsea. So really fortunate to get three points out of that match. And I know you're a big Brentford guy and on your wild card, which we'll preview a little bit later, I'm sure there are going to be some bees buzzing in that hive. Yeah, absolutely. Next match is West Ham at Everton. The Hammers come out with the three points. They win this one 1-0. And, you know, I think for FPL purposes, Antonio, who's the man leading the line for many FPL managers in the game, almost 50% of the game has him as one of their starting forwards. He ends up blanking and he does end up leading to the decisive match winner. He earns a controversial corner kick, jumping with Pickford yep. for a ball uh, that really was Pickford's to catch and he just doesn't. And then Bowen strikes the ball inch perfect into defender Ogbana's head for the game winning goal. He ends up also with a clean sheet and the three bonus well-deserved for 15 total FPL points, another massive defender haul for West Ham and Everton. They dropped their first home match of the season. So disappointing result for the Toffees, but I think West Ham were probably the better team in this game. And just to add post-match, we found out that things are even worse for Everton than just this result. They lose Decore, who's been one of their standout midfield players this season. He goes the full 90 minutes, but after the game, he's diagnosed with a stress fracture in his foot. I'm actually dealing with the same injury right now. And he's yeah. out four to six weeks. I have my MRI tomorrow, so wish me luck. And worse still, DCL, he has a setback in training. He's recovering from a leg muscle injury. I think it's a quad, but uh, he doesn't have, he was supposed to come back this weekend. That's not looking likely. It's looking like he might be out for a couple more weeks at least. So bad news for Everton who are already beat up coming into this one. Yeah, I think Richarlison is, you know, nearing his return from injury. And this would just put a little bit more emphasis on Townsend and on Damari Gray. I thought Damari Gray looked very good in this match. Um, he had a couple of direct runs where he was crossing the ball into the box. And then you just had, you know, slow Rondon trying to run yeah, onto it horrible. like a prehistoric dinosaur. So um, I think there are a couple of options in the Everton side that you could go with, but I would, I would, I would potentially wait and see until they get fully healthy before jumping on one of their players. But uh, if DCL is injured, Townsend still on pens could be an option. For sure. Next match is Spurs at Newcastle. This is the first match at St. James Park under the new ownership group, Saudi Arabia Investment Fund. And Spurs, they eke it out 3-2. 
Brian, I know we were both watching this one and the energy was like contagious. I felt it through the screen and, you know, Newcastle started strong, but uh, they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough firepower to keep up with Spurs when they were in form. Yeah. Kellen, the truth Wilson comes in his first game back from injury and he gets a headed opener in the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. and the, the place was really hopping. Like it was great to see all the fans um, after a very emotional international break with their team being purchased by a new ownership group. And they had the lead for a little while, but when it comes down to it, their defenders are really terrible. Uh, they have a few yeah. decent attacking players, but they need a full overhaul in their defense. And I don't think they've cut the single clean sheet this entire season. And we got goals from um, Mr. Harry Kane back in action. Finally he scores, back. scores his first goal. And he didn't even know he scored it. He thought he was off sides, but luckily he was played onside by one of the far defenders on the side. So he gets his first goal and it was a beautiful um, pass over the top. And then he flicked it with his kind of outside of uh, his right boots and it goes over the goalkeeper chipped. Um, it was actually, you know, amazing play. I was but- saying, I was going to say that was a vintage Kane finish. That was like a Harry Kane, best striker in England form finish he took that ball with confidence and there was no chance once it came off his foot it wasn't ending up in the back of the net yeah for sure and then um and Dumbelli gets his first goal of the premier league season as well uh he was starting instead of Deli ali so interesting to see him really pull together a pretty tidy performance and then um sunny boy gets a you know has the false positive he makes the match day squad and he scores off in a great assist um uh, two on one against a keeper with Kane um, when they had a great buildup. So that was basically the, the Spurs game. And it will be interesting to see if this was just a blip in the radar since they're playing Newcastle, or if they are able to keep up some momentum and especially come game week 12, when they go on this really awesome run of fixtures, um, you know, we will be looking to get at least one of Kane or son in um, again, game weeks, 12, they play Leeds, Burnley, Brentford and Norwich. So uh, definitely wow. some potential opportunities for people to take a punt on Spurs. I don't think they look very good, but with fixtures like that, and if Kane can round into form and that dynamic duo is back on top, then you will have to have one of those players for that run. Yeah. Just to add Kane ends up with three bonus. He gets the goal and assist. As Brian mentioned, he ends up with 12 FPL points and son ends up with a goal and two bonus for nine points. But worth mentioning that Sun not only crushed the COVID rumors, but he also is crushing this season right now. He has five returns. He, excuse me. He has returns in five of the seven matches that he's played with for Spurs. So he's instant offense when he plays. Uh, you know he's going to return. And I feel for Brian and other FPL managers who kind of knee-jerked him out of their side with the COVID rumors. That's a bad beat for sure. Just wanted to make sure we do mention to kind of unsung heroes of this match. They didn't play that well on the pitch, but uh, just from a human to human perspective, they were the real clear winners on the day. And that was uh, to Reggion and to Dyer of Spurs. They both kind of sprang into action. There was distress in the stands. A fan had collapsed and was having a medical emergency. Reggion picked it out, alerted the official to it. And then Dyer ran over to the sideline to make sure that the, uh, medical professional who's in charge of the defibrillator, which is now a mandatory inclusion at any 
match day stadium ran over to get involved. So we wish that Newcastle fan a full and speedy recovery and, you know, huge shout out and credit to Region and Dyer. They likely saved this person's life. So uh, that's bigger than football for sure. Yeah, and then Dyer is rewarded with an own goal uh, in the end of the second it's half. A cruel, so. It's a cruel game sometimes, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Um, just back to FPL. This was a tough call again for me. I had Son, and I talked about him in previous podcasts. That was going to be in my wild card. So instead of having Son and Livermento, I went with Diaz and Foden. So net-net, you know, I'm down some points in that one, but uh, glad just to see Sonny Boy does not have COVID and his smiling goal-scoring ways are on the pitch again. So let's wrap up the game week by talking about Crystal Palace 2, Arsenal 2 on the Monday fixture, Bucks. I did not watch this one live, so you're going to have to break it down. But I know that from the chat and all the banter going off, people were having their typical Arsenal roller coaster of emotions in this one. For sure. This was bonus football. We love to have it, love to see it. And Obama Yang came in hot, uh, you know, Crystal Palace come to Arsenal and he scores the opening goal within 10 minutes. He gets to capitalize on a save shot from Nicolas Pepe. So he gets the FPL assist and Arsenal really appeared to be in control for the next, I would say 50 or so minutes. And then, you know, Arsenal, they did Arsenal things and they were very sloppy and soft in the midfield. First, Thomas Partey, and then uh, another player who I'm blanking on, but they both get shrugged off the ball and Benteke and then Edward end up with classy uh, Edward specifically for the second goal. That was a rocket goal uh, right into the roof of the, of the net past Aaron Ramsdale. So they go up 2-1. I think the Gunners were very fortunate here. They steal a point. From super sub Lacazette, he comes on and he has the equalizer late in extra time. It's pretty much the last kick of meaning in the match. And that really spoiled it for Crystal Palace, who lose points from a second match this season. They drew against Brighton from a late Neil Mape goal, and then they draw against Arsenal here, a game that they really had won uh, from a late Lacazette goal. So that kind of spoils the visit and the return of new Palace coach Patrick Vieira, who's back at the Emirates, which is where he played and, you know, really was a standout player for Arsenal for a long time. So this was a, a, a mixed match, but I would say Palace, you know, Vieira is doing an incredible job there. I would not feel. Yeah, very impressive. Kind of, I would not feel any kind of way if you, from an FPL perspective, wanted to jump on uh, Palace for some for some players. I mean, Gallagher, even Zaha, who made a late sub appearance. Uh, if not Benteke, uh, I think all those players have tremendous value because they're playing much more attacking and much more fearless football under their new coach. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect them to keep many clean sheets, but I do not expect them to not score goals anymore, which for a long time under Roy Hodgson, you know, you were expecting maybe a goal or none in every game they played. So it's you know refreshing to see them bring in some new talent, some new players, change their system and really kind of re-announce themselves to the Premier League as a, a tough fixture. And uh, at least they're, and they're entertaining to watch. So I'm happy for them and this uh, transformation. So hopefully that this will continue. And then maybe somebody like, um, you know, Edward will emerge later in the season with some consistency and be an option for us in FPL. Yeah. So just the points 
Obama Yang, Benteke, they each get a goal and three bonus for nine points. Edward ends up with the goal and one bonus for seven. And Lacazette with the equalizing goal gets five points. Uh, but just worth shouting out a couple of players, Ramsdale and Gaita, who are the two goalkeepers in this match. They both end up allowing two goals, which is a minus one. But each of them had four saves on the day. So they're both able to grab two points, which is, you know, a, an OK showing. And most notably, Saka had to come off early in this match with an injury. He ends up with zero FPL points. I think that's pretty cruel to the FPL managers who went that way. He was having a good game. And so he his health is going to be something that is going to be worth monitoring going forward for the FPL game. Yeah, that was a small, tiny little bullet that I dodged. I was thinking about going with um, Saka instead of Rafinha, given that he probably wasn't going to play this game week. So I'm glad that I did not bank that future transfer and just stashed Rafinha on my bench. So um, thanks for wrapping that one up, Bucks. We're going to take a quick break here and then come back and answer some community questions. We're going to get communal. We're going to bring in all of your questions and Bucks is going to spit out (laughs) some answers. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're going to address the community questions. And this game week, we got a number of them, starting with one that was a very common question. We actually got it from a number of different managers, but most notably, let's shout out Eamon and Andrew, who ask, is Romelu Lukaku even worth having? He is now blanked in four games straight, and he is a super premium player as the forward leading line for Chelsea. Brian, what are you seeing here? Like we said before, everybody gets right versus Norwich, and I expect... Chelsea to have a big bounce back performance and score three goals versus Norwich. So you have to keep him for one more match. If you don't, if he blanks in this one, then, you know, you, you're definitely justified. Fire he's sale. 11, yeah. yeah. He's 11.7 million. Meanwhile, Vardy is on, you know, seven or eight goals leading the golden boot race and he's much cheaper. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on, but you have to keep him for this match. And honestly, I think if you, don't have him, I would still bring him in for this one, to be honest. Like it's it's Norwich and he's known as a flat track bully. So I think it's it's definitely a a double digit haul waiting to happen. And it it's kind of weird because there's not a lot of creativity in the Chelsea side at the moment, but he has had two goals chalked off because yeah. he injured two offsides in multiple occasions. He hit the bar in two of other shots this season. So I think there's an opportunity for him to get right this game week. And they have such easy fixtures with Norwich, Newcastle, and Burnley all back to back to back. Now's the time to have a player like Lukaku and then get rid of him um, in a few game weeks. So that would be my recommendation here. Yeah, this is a fixture over form bet uh, sticking with Romelu Lukaku. And just to expand on that, Bagdeep asks, is the premium forward discussion now more of a consideration? Is it time to maybe back Kane as the differential over both Ronaldo, who a lot of people are shipping out, and Romelu Lukaku, who a lot of FPL managers have in their squad or are bringing in? Brian, you think there's any legitimacy to going Harry Kane over these two other players? Not yet. You know, when you look at Manchester United and Chelsea, those are two kind of firmly top four sides. And you have a little bit more of a a way to envision how they score goals in every single match. Spurs, you know, they're kind of a middle of the table team right now. And I think unless 
they get to the point where they have those fixtures, which will happen come game week 12. That's, that's the time when I would consider them, but these guys are so expensive. So it, it is tough to see all these blanks in a row. I know, especially managers who Painful, went yeah. big, big up the top and had Rom and Ronaldo, and you're just getting blank after blank. It, it's gotta be super frustrating. So, you know, players, meanwhile, like Livermento have delivered 25 points in the last like five game weeks. Whereas uh, these guys have just delivered like less than 10. So it's, it's frustrating for sure. But um, I think it's just a good case in point that you have one of those slots for your premium forward. And you're going to kind of jump around this season. You're going to jump from Lukaku to Kane, Kane to Ronaldo. And that's just going to be the transfers that you're going to have to plan moving forward into the season. For sure. I think that's a good call. Having one should be enough. Uh, the question really is where Vardy fits into that discussion. I know he's kind ah. of a half step below. Uh, we'll wait to address that until a couple of questions later on. Brian, who's up next? All right, Corey has a few quality questions as he has also activated his wild card. He wants to know out of Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool, would you risk doubling up on their defenses? And if so, which one of those teams has the best defense? Bucks, the clear choice is probably Chelsea with the fixtures, but if you're looking long-term and don't want to make transfers on defenders, would you go with another team? So City here is the by far and away best defense. And I think Cancelo and Diaz are the best duo who you know are going to play most matches. I don't want to say every match, but most matches. So because of that, they are more expensive. Obviously, if you can afford to bring in TAA and Andy Robertson, you know, those two guys are the most expensive. But I think most FPL managers either have TAA or Robbo. They don't have both. So for me, the answer is still Chelsea. I think if you pick them right, uh, right now, I think that the best combination is probably Chilwell and Aspilicueta. That provides you 0.5 million to spread throughout the rest of your team, as opposed to going Cancelo Diaz. So for me, that's the best option, double up on Chelsea. The fixtures are just a level better than the fixtures for Liverpool, which are clearly the toughest they play uh, United this coming game week. And then obviously the city fixtures, they're good, but I think they're going to be a little more cagey than the Chelsea fixtures, which should just be uh, easy cupcake matchups. Yeah, it really depends how you want to play it. Um, on my wild card going into game week eight, I went with two city defenders for the longevity and knowing that I didn't want to make a lot of uh, defensive transfers. You know, Chilwell is the most attacking goal scorer out of all the defenders really at this point. Um, especially with Trent kind of hampered coming back from his groin injury, but it's just going to be tough when if he's your only Chelsea asset and you're going into a game versus Newcastle or Burnley, and then he doesn't feature at all and you're missing out on clean sheet points. Whereas the rest of everybody who has maybe one of their center backs, um, once we see how Rudiger's back turns out or Aspilicueta, obviously you're paying a little bit more money, but he can play wing back and also uh, cornerback. So I think those are some interesting gambles that you're going to take on your team. If you go with Chilwell as a standalone, you have to have Livermento or a cheap kind of backup defender who can for come sure. in for him. For sure. And you're just going to have to roll with the punches happens over the course of the season. But if you're looking at long-term, he's got a higher uh, ceiling for sure. Right. All right. Next question here. Let's talk about the Brentford bees. This is another question from Corey. Is it time for Embuemo? Mbomo plus Tony, or do you just choose one of them? At the moment, 
the more attacking one really kind of looks like Mbomo and he's 5.5 million. Would you invest in both bucks or would you just take one? So I'm going to tease my wild card reveal team, Ooh, uh, a which tease. is coming in a little bit, but I think that the bees are a team that you need to get on board with right now. I've been high on them throughout the season. I think they've, they've proven me wise, but they've, they've gone a level even beyond my expectation. I thought that they were going to, you know, slot in and, you know, end up in maybe 12th place at the end of the season. And they're looking like a team that might end up in the top half uh, by the end of game week 38. So they're really impressing me. I think their coach has them playing really hard and well-organized. So for my wildcard team, I'm actually going to have three Brentford players right now. I'm going to have Tony, who I've had since the beginning of the season. I think he's great value. He's on penalty kicks. He's very creative. He has more assists uh, expected than a lot of the top players that, you know, you would think are, you know, kind of creative and backboard type players like Jimenez. He has a higher XA than all of those guys. And, and Buemo, he's hit the post six times this season, which is a mind running stat. The next highest is, has two and that's Romelu Lukaku. So it's just mind boggling. It's going to come good for Embuemo. You just have to hold him and he's, He's a cheap enabler in midfield, so I think he's well worth it. And then my third player, I'm actually backing Raya, their goalkeeper. He looks really good. I'm impressed with the way that the Bees line up. I think he's taking a lot of shots from outside the box and saving them. Obviously, you love to see that. I just think that they're they're well organized, so I don't expect that they're going to be going in and keeping a lot of clean sheets per se, but I think that when they do keep clean sheets, he's going to get some bonus points. So that's my bet there. And I just think for price and upside, it's hard to do better than Brentford right now. In Bomo at 5.5, that's just the automatic choice on wildcard. He's such an enabler for the rest of your team. So that would be my number one choice on wildcard. I think when they have their fixture run coming up here, then maybe you downgrade one of your Jimenez's or Antonio's to uh, the likes of Tony, because that's always going to be a, a possibly yep. an option that helps you free up funds and upgrade elsewhere. So I kind of like that as like a potential transfer down the line. I I am just a little bit concerned about what I'm going to get from them game week in and game week out. Like they they've been cagey for sure, and they've played the top teams pretty well, but they've also not really hit that run of fixtures where they're delivering FPL points game week in and game week out. They definitely earned our respect, but I'm just kind of curious to see when that is. And if you can predict that, which again, Bucks, you're going to be having the full beehive, um, you know, Burnley, Norwich, Newcastle game weeks, 10 to 12. That sounds like the bet that you're making. And I respect that. Yeah. They're going to call me queen B at the end of this fixture run. Next question. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Next question. Antonio, he's been great and he's looked the part to start the season, but is it time to move on from him and maybe even Ben Rama? Brian, what's your take here? Yeah, I mean, they're going to be in European football as well, and they have tough fixtures coming up. We have Tottenham, Villa, Liverpool, Wolves, and City coming up. So definitely a run which you do not want to be doubled up on West Ham. I would still keep Antonio, especially because you've built up so much value in him. I don't think it's time to cash in quite yet. I would give him a couple more weeks. I mean, we just saw Tottenham give up two goals in Newcastle. Villa gave up three to Wolves. So I think you trot him out there for another few weeks. And then maybe in game week 10, when the fixtures for Brentford are changing and he has Mm -hmm. Liverpool, then that's maybe a really good opportunity for you to cash in that check 
and bring in Tony instead. So just some, you know, potential moves that I've been thinking of in my FPL squad, but ultimately he's still been a great player and was one of the few players that can, you know, have double digit potential in any game that he plays, even against the top side. So that to me at his price point is still a nailed guy in my team for the next few game weeks. I, I agree with you. I think I'm on wildcard, so I'm thinking a little bit more long-term. So he's out on my squad and I've never been on the Ben Rama bandwagon. So uh, that kind of his price rise and then his subsequent comeback to earth have kind of all passed me by more as a spectator, but I think it's probably, you always want to be a little early as opposed to a little late in FPL. And I think if you're thinking this and you're feeling that, you know, maybe you've gotten all you can squeeze out of Antonio, then the time is to transfer him now. He's very highly owned. So if he does get transferred out in big numbers, you know, his price is going to fall. So as you'll see in my wildcard team, he's not in the squad, but I agree with Brian. I think Spurs and Villa are two matches that are still, those aren't quite so difficult as maybe the FPL and the FDR indicator might have you thinking. Yeah. And I think Bucks, again, ultimately, like I respect West Ham's attack. They have some solid Mm -hmm. players, their build-up play. You just know you're going to get a pretty consistent attacking game from them. And with the likes of Suchek and Cresswell and Declan Rice, they, they just have enough um, enough quality players to yeah, for now, play the game. Yeah. yeah, and they just have enough quality players to play um, their style of football in every match. And I think that that really sets up Antonio well for having chances and um, is still a player that I would, I would rate him still higher than Jimenez. Uh, obviously, DCL is injured in that price bracket. So I think he's still a player that, you know, many managers are going to keep him for now because it's not a priority transfer. You have other, other problems to deal with. Absolutely. So if, yeah, yeah. if you're not, if you're not on wildcard, just hold him for sure. I would not be rushing to transfer him out by any means. He's, he's more good and reliable for goals than Lukaku is. That's for sure. So uh, it's just interesting <laughs> so. because West Ham, as Brian mentioned, they're one of the top five offensive squads in the premier league. And a lot of FPL managers are overlooking some of those West Ham players to get players from not as proficient scoring sides like a Brentford, like a Wolves. And those guys are locks in their team, but Antonio and Ben Rama are kind of fading to the background. So this is an important question. I think Antonio is one of those critical players on wildcard. And as you set up your plan for the next couple of game weeks, he's someone that's really going to swing your thinking one way or another. All right, let's move on to the next question, which is about Arsenal defense. Are they more Jekyll or Hyde? This is a team that is going to be up and down. I think there's value in their defense because you can get their defenders for 4.5 million or less. And that's, you know, worth a, a slot on your team. I would not want to be doubled up on them by any means. I would not want to have more than one defender. Even uh, I have Ramsdale and goal. I'm fine with that. He's, he's fine. 4.6. He's made a number of saves, so that's decent, but most often they're going to make mistakes that lead to goals yeah. and it's just silly mistakes. Right. And it, it, they're overall like as a unit, I think their defense is pretty solid, but it's the one mistake that they give that's quote unquote, so arsenal. And then Ben Teke scores a, a goal and then the clean sheet is wiped. So white at 4.4 million is a great option to have in your FPL side. He's been getting bonus. I think Ramsdale, He's up there with Raya and Sanchez for goalkeepers at 4.5 to 4.6 million. And that's all you need to really consider. 
Yeah, I agree. I think Ben White is probably my first choice out of the bunch for Arsenal. He's 4.4 million. He's gotten some bonus points. So if they clean sheet, I think Ben White will be rewarded with some bonus. Ramsdale is 4.6. So he's not so he's not quintessentially a 4.5 million budget keeper anymore. The wild card hype train has already taken effect. But I think he's going to get a lot of saves, which is good. But he is always turning the ball over when he has to actually boot the ball long. So I don't think he's going to get much bonus. So for me, he's kind of <laughs> I a mean, stay Bucks, Bucks are, Arteta wants to play out of the back like they're uh, at Man City, right? Oh, and he does God. not have the qual- the same quality of players to do what Pep does and, and rely on being able to play so confidently and smoothly out of the back to move up the attack. So that's one thing that's just really kind of more of a managerial change, I think, because um, they, do, they do try and put a lot of pressure to play like uh, City at times, and they just don't have the players to do yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I've had Ben White since the start of the season. I suffered a price drop on him, so he's now $4.4 million. I think he's someone we'll look to later in the season when they figured it out a little more. But I think my bet away from Arsenal is more a bet that I don't trust Arteta, as Brian mentioned. I think that they have good players, but they don't have the best system to maximize the players on the pitch. Last question is from Nick. And is it too risky to go without a premium forward? We mentioned this before, and I want to tie Mm. that into another question, which we kind of touched on earlier in the episode, which is it maybe better to go big in midfield with either KDB or Mane alongside Salah, as opposed to playing with one big midfielder in Salah or one big midfield, or excuse me, one big midfielder and one big forward option. Brian, what's your take? Yeah, very interesting. I mean, you could go with all 7.5 million pound strikers and under. You could have Antonio Jimenez and Tony as a potential top three uh, strikers. That's going to free up a lot of cash. Um, you could throw Wang in there as your third striker who or even plays Cal in Cal Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, or Cal Wilson. There, there is there is some opportunity there, especially if you're looking to make up some ground in your mini leagues because everyone has a premium. Uh, striker at the moment I really obviously I'm a huge KDB fan so if he really kind of looks the part he's a player that can lead to double digit hauls like Buck said because he gets two or three bonus every time he um, gets points because he is just creating so much and his baseline bonus is so high so that's an interesting shout I'm not as keen on the double up with Mane and Salah because it's just a lot of money invested into two forwards for that team. Um, granted, they're midfielders in FPL, but um, he's sure. been great. He's got five five goals and one assist. He has no double-digit hauls, so he's been consistent, but he hasn't really had enough um, kind of bonus to also kind of crack that double-digit haul. So I think KDB is somebody to consider or just kind of bucking the trend and going with Vardy uh, as, as your other player as a premium forward who's a little bit ex- less expensive, but uh, not quite in that top three bracket with Kane Lukaku and Ronaldo. Yeah. Bucks, I just, I just want to, I want to address Nick's question. It's a little too bold for me. I kind of agree with you, Brian. I think more safe and steady is how I want to approach it. I definitely have Salah. He is a lock in every squad. I could not imagine being an FPL manager and watching the matches and seeing the scores come in and not having the Egyptian. You, you'd be behind the couch, like covering your face, like trying to peek out of one little crevice. It would make uh, the game. Meanwhile, it would make the game so miserable. I agree there. And yeah. 
I think it's just easier to have one big midfielder and one big striker at least. And that kind of, you know, as Brian mentioned, he's gone big in the back as well. So there's definitely players that you can get that are more regularly returning. I think an interesting shout on this kind of, are you willing to go without the top priced forwards is Ian Nacho. He's been coming into form Ooh. the last couple of game weeks and his lines mate, Jamie Vardy is 10.6 million. Nacho is still only 7 million. So that's really where I see there's less of a difference in those two kind of premium players. The issue with Kane and with Lukaku and with Ronaldo is there really isn't a second forward who's joining them in that goal scoring uh, attack. So um, it's not my strategy, but I can definitely see it working out because there are so many good quality, more budget forwards this season. Yeah, Bucks. And I think Iannaccio, if he becomes nailed, is a great option. Obviously, you could downgrade Jimenez or Antonio to him at about that $7 million price point. And it, it was interesting in the last game versus United, you know, he starts up top and then Barnes plays zero minutes, which mm-hmm. is very yeah, I loved kind it. of interesting. I loved it. Yeah, and it, it worked out pretty well for them. Um, Iannaccio was pressing Manchester United's defenders, and that's how he got the ball and set up Thielman's first um, goal from outside the box. That was a great, um, great finish. But it'll be interesting to see if he really nails down that spot. And Brendan Rodgers miraculously watches some film of the last, you know, last season's last 10 games of last season and realizes that's how they can move forward and um, actually win win some games and pick up more points in this season. So, all right. Thank you so much, everyone, for adding these community questions. We're going to take a break and come back in just a moment. We'll be right back. We're going to wrap up here with a preview of the best FPL matches in game week nine. Those include Norwich at Chelsea coming to Stamford Bridge for a regular butt kicking. City. Come on, Chelsea. City go to the Amex to play Brighton. And then there's three fixtures on Sunday, which are all pretty delicious. If you're an FPL player or a fan of the Premier League in general, that's Leicester at Brentford, Spurs at West Ham, and Liverpool at Man United. Worth mentioning, there is Friday football this match week. Arsenal on short rest play in the opener. So all those matches are worth targeting. And before we sign off, we do want to hear from Brian, what your captaincy selection is. And if you're making any transfer moves coming out of your wild card. Yeah, Bucks, definitely rolling my transfer, have a really healthy squad going into this um, upcoming game week. I have Huang as my first bench slot as well. So feeling pretty confident if there's any rotation. Um, So I think, my recommendation as an F, a veteran FPL manager is whenever you wildcard, you want to set yourself up so you can bank that transfer the following game week. So take sure. the time, do the planning, because whenever you have two transfers, you're able to make you know larger scale changes. You're able to switch formations, do things like that. So that's what I'm doing. I'm rolling the transfer. And then I know you're on wildcard. So we're going to do a separate episode to you, uh, just a quick 10, 15 minute episode to chat through that and what your thinking is there. And in terms of captaincy, Bucks, it's between two players, and that's Mohamed Salah and Lukaku. Who are you going? What are Who you, you thinking here? I'm going Salah. I mean, my... I, I'm going Salah. Ooh, okay, okay. I, I listen. I'm a diehard Chelsea Blues fan, but I haven't seen it yet from Lukaku, and clearly, we've seen it from Salah. So I'm just 
letting my eyes kind of steer me in the right direction. I think Salah is going to score at least one goal in this match. And Lukaku, I think he's probably going to score a goal. He probably has a higher ceiling, but I think a lot of managers are going to be captaining Lukaku. So I want to stay different. And I've gone against the Egyptian king before and he's punished me for it. So I'm going to stay true (laughs) and stay loyal. How about you, Brian? I mean, I'll be very surprised if Salah is not the overwhelming favorite for captaincy this week. You know, we're Blues fans, so we're always taking the most optimistic approach for Chelsea and their attack. But given that Salah can either assist or score and Liverpool has the best attack right now um, in in the Premier League where you know where they're going to score goals, it's really through three players or four players if Jota plays. Um, uh-huh. I think that's just the massive overwhelming favorite for captaincy, I believe is going to be Salah right now. I have the captaincy armband on Lukaku. I'm going back and forth. I think part of it's going to be fun to have a captain versus Norwich, who's clearly the worst defensive side. Um, they have kept a couple of clean, clean sheets versus some bad opponents over the last couple of game weeks, but they're going to get crushed by Chelsea. And, uh, what's the point in having Lukaku? if I'm not going to captain him versus Norwich. And I, I think that was my plan going to wild card. So what the hell I'm going to give it to Lukaku. Hopefully he gets a brace and bags me 26 points. One, one thing I did want to shout out is the potential to captain one of the Chelsea wingbacks like Chilwell or Aspilicueta. If they both get the start, I think that is a really nice differential move. And as I mentioned last episode in Six of the eight game weeks thus far, a defender has been the top scorer. So you're going to get a big point total if your player gets a goal or an assist, clean sheet, and the bonus point. So I think really high upside, uh, but obviously there's a rotation risk if you go with a Chelsea defender. Yeah, it's too risky just given that like, even though Aspie's the captain and he's usually nailed, this would be a great opportunity to give an older defender some rest. Chilwell could easily you know play too. It kind of depends on the Champions League um, lineup. Yeah. I think that's something that you'll pay close attention to. Hopefully Lukaku doesn't get injured in that one or anything crazy happens. Um, but we're we're waiting to see kind of who plays in Champions League to, def- to figure out what you might even have on wildcard bucks. Like you don't know who what's going to happen in the Champions League match. So luckily for you, you can sort that out later. But anyway, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We're going to be back with a bonus wildcard episode with bucks later this week and we appreciate you guys following us on instagram and on twitter fpl blues podcast hit us up with your questions we love the engagement and let's keep these green arrows flowing absolutely have another big game week brian and to all of our listeners you as well